You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mates. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mates from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Phenomenal season. I think our best one yet over at denverstiffs.com. So if you are not reading consistently... You're going to want to make it part of your daily and weekly routine. We're going to have great stuff up there. End of the year stuff. We'll probably start a countdown of all the best moments of this season, just kind of reliving all of that. We'll get into some draft stuff before too long, off-season stuff. There's a lot to talk about. Um, so the season may be over, but you know, for the diehards and the people who are becoming, I think a lot of people you know, jumping on the bandwagon with this team kind of have enjoyed the process of an NBA season, and that process really goes into the offseason, and tonight is the NBA lottery. It's weird to not be a part of that, but there's a lot, um, you know, but there's there's always a lot to kind of look forward to, and this team story, the Denver Nuggets' story, is a lot about the upcoming years. I, I, I've said all along, their championship window was not open this year. It would have been great had they advanced to the Western Conference Finals, but th- that that train stopped there. Maybe you could daydream and say, "Oh man, Kevin Durant's now out till Game Five. Maybe the Nuggets could have, you know, could have beaten the Warriors." And sure, they could have. It's possible, um, but I don't. I don't think it was too likely. And even if they did, going up against either Toronto or Milwaukee, probably underdogs in that. So, um, you know, I think next year is the year you really look at and say, depending on how Denver. Um, how their offseason goes. That's when their championship window opens, and even for the next several years after that. And a lot of what makes the NBA fun is sort of the process of it all, and that process is largely, um, you know, it all gets started in the offseason. So lots of good stuff to come up. Today's episode of the show, yesterday was the exit interviews for all of the players, and so got to interview a bunch of them and kind of take the temperature of how they were feeling um, and and then just kind of get a sense of, you know, some storylines emerge from that. And in segments two and three, I'm kind of excited about this. I'm going to look at different perspectives on this Nuggets season and specifically this playoff run and playoff loss in game seven. I'm going to, you know, start with the microscopic view up close, like super up close, dissecting what this means and what happened. You go step back and look at the face-to-face view. Then we're going to do the overhead view, you know, just kind of stepping further further back with overhead view what's kind of the big picture story and then of course the 10,000 foot view which is is much more of the you know how can we whittle this whole season down to just one or two narratives and i think it's kind of a neat exercise to kind of show that none of those perspectives are wrong but they they are different when you look at things super up close they look different than when you really step back and look at them and, and just kind of provide a little perspective. And again, neither one is wrong, um, but I think taken all together, you you get the most complete picture, the most complete objectivity. But we're going to start with the exit interviews because they were fascinating. Um, the first thing that was fascinating, Michael Porter Jr. talked first, and I wish he would have talked last because a lot of players, he sort of became one of the themes of the day. Um, I don't think it came in everybody expecting to talk about him a lot, but um, you know he talked first and he he mentioned that he's been healthy. You know he thinks he probably could have played at some point during the season, but he agreed and the team agreed both that just with given how the Nugget season was going and given you know that they want him long term. He's not just a short term play; he's a long term play for the Nuggets. Um, they, they held him out. So it sounds like he is pretty healthy and beginning immediately. He said he's going to go home for like a week or so, but then he'll be back in Denver because, and, and he even said it, he's like, I've been waiting two years to get back on the court. So he's, he said, my time starts now. And 
that's sort of one of the themes. The, this next season, you know, there's a chance Michael Porter Jr. becomes a side story. Maybe he gets injured, you know, doesn't play, never gets healthy, isn't good, you know, all those things. So it's possible this isn't the case, but I suspect that next season will lar- Michael Porter Jr. will be one of the main storylines this summer and into next season and maybe even throughout next season. Um, he's this big wild card. So for people that don't know, Michael Porter Jr. was for many years the number one high school recruit, um, high school prospect. Six um, eleven plays, you know, a phenomenal shooter. He might be the best shooter on the Nuggets team, especially like catch and shoot. He's got a beautiful looking jumper, um, just a pure scorer. And at the college level, you know, in the in the EYBL circuit, which is like the most um, competitive AAU circuit there is out there, he was just an absolutely dominant scorer, like thirty something points um, per forty minutes and thirteen rebounds. I think just really really dynamic player. So he really. If he can be, he he had two back or he had a back injury, required a back surgery while he was in college, and then another one after being drafted by the Denver Nuggets for the same issue, not a different issue, but the same issue. Um, and you know, so the big question mark is. He's this great, phenomenal talent, but will he ever be healthy enough to play? This summer, he'll get on the court for the first time playing for Denver's Summer League team. Um, and so it's just a big thing. If, if he ends up living up to his the expectation when he was a, a healthy high school prospect, the Denver Nuggets just added a, a, an, an elite talent and will be championship contenders. If if he's not healthy or if he doesn't live up to hype, he's not as good or he has some flaws, You know, he might just be a little bit of a detour sideshow. Side but um, nonetheless, it'll be an interesting story, and he said he plans on playing in summer league. Now, what I thought was more interesting than than MPJ's comments was everybody's comments coming after him. They all share in your excitement and my excitement and, and fans of the Denver Nuggets' excitement about just wanting to see this guy play. And um, Paul Millsap said he's going to be at summer league, and he kind of laughed. He said, man, if this guy's as good as he says he is, I got to be there for it. So I'm going to be there at summer league because in the guys, you could kind of tell there's this healthy ribbing. What you took away, and you can watch all of these interviews on our YouTube page or go to denverstiffs.com. We have them all up there as well. Um, but he, the video of all these interviews, Millsap was kind of laughing like, man, this guy's really been talking about how great he is. You get the sense that Michael Porter Jr. is very confident in himself, probably cocky. Um, and so I think a lot of players, Nikola Jokic laughed as well about like, oh, I can't wait to see this guy play. And almost with this little sense of, I can't wait for this guy to have a reality check. You know, like he's really good and he's really confident of himself. But hey, this is the big boy league and nobody walks into it as a superstar in their first year. So I think all the guys are sort of, you know, playfully excited for him to get on the court, both to see him play and see how great he is, but also to kind of see him, um, you know, face reality a little bit. So um, it, it's kind of exciting, I think. Mason Plumley even kind of mentioned that he had a line in there about, yeah, he's good, but not like NBA good, like, you know, something like that. Like he's going to have to learn that really quick. So um, it was it was, it was was pretty fun, like all in good fun. Nobody like, you know, it, it wasn't like people were upset with him or anything like that. I think they're all excited to kind of see what he's got. <clears throat> Paul Millsap was the next, and, and maybe even for me, the most interesting story. He has a player option coming up that the Nuggets, I think, are likely to decline, um, but with the hope that they would restructure his deal. So um, the Nuggets have basically two choices, <clears throat> or three choices, I guess you could say. They could pick up his option for $30 million, which would be an, uh, an egregious overpay. He's not worth $30 million anymore. I think he was for the last two seasons for various reasons. Don't want to get into all that, but this year, going forward, I do not think the Nuggets no longer need him at that price. 
guys. In fact, the best path for the Nuggets going forward would be, would be for Paul Millsap taking a significant discount to stay with this team. One way you could look at the Paul Millsap deal over the last two years, they overpaid for him the last two years, and maybe with an eye towards, okay, man, we paid you up front, kind of like a little bit of a bonus, now take a big discount so that we can have you on a great deal and we can go out and pursue other players and, and bolster our roster. I, my hope is that's what the plan has been all along. And talking to Millsap yesterday, you know, he really seems content with where he is in Denver and really wanting to finish this thing through. He talked about my story, you know, his vision for where he wants to go. I want to play that audio clip for you. Whatever happens in free agency, you know, I think that this, this group and this core um, has a really good section. Do you feel like this is maybe your best shot at winning a title with this group? I don't know. I can go to the Golden State Warriors. I don't know. But, you know, from how I want to do it and how I want my story to be told, um, it's definitely the group that can help me do it. Um, that's definitely a dream and a goal of mine. Um, and I think it's a goal for everybody else, you know, especially the younger guys. You know, they see um, guys winning championships and they see teams winning. And uh, they want to be a part of that, and they want to be in that category. So um, I see the drive on these guys' faces, and I know that they have the same goal and mentality to get there, and, and um, this organization do too. So um, I feel comfortable with that. You talked about wanting to do tell your story, do your story, do it your way. Um, what does that entail? You know, and, and specifically with with the Denver Nuggets, what what is the perfect story for you here? Um, for me, I've been a guy who's who's been. Um, looked upon, uh, well, not looked upon. Um, the guys everybody counted out over the years, you know, undersized four men, um, and I've always been doubted. And to, for that's what makes this year so special. You know, this this team was doubted throughout the whole year. Um, we couldn't do this. We we couldn't do that. We're not good enough. We're too young. Blah blah blah. You know, I mean. And, We've proved everybody wrong, and for me, um, it's not really trying to prove everybody wrong, but proving myself that you know I can do it my way and, and still win, and I can do it you know with whoever I want to do it with. You know, it ain't got to be the Golden State Warriors or the Lakers or whoever. Um, I can take a, a young, I can help a young, talented team, you know, reach that goal, and that's that's really what I want. I love that clip. The entirety of it, it's a little bit of a longer one, but what I like about it, I don't know that we've ever heard Paul Millsap sort of articulate why he, you know, to this degree, why he wanted to be a part of the Nuggets and why he sort of has enjoyed his time here so much. And I really do think that he has enjoyed this team. He, For one, he gets to play that mentor role. Um, but I, I think he gets energy being around these young guys and just kind of enjoys it. But more to the point... He he wants to do it the hard way. That's why he laughed about, I could go to the Warriors. You know, that would be my best shot at winning a championship. And at this stage of his career, he could do the David West thing and just sign for the veteran minimum, be the backup power forward, and almost certainly win a championship next year. But I like that he said he wants to tell the story his way. And it just fits with the spirit of this Denver Nuggets team and with this city and just where the Nuggets are in relationship to the rest of the league. You have to have guys in Denver, if you're going to ever win a championship, you have to have guys that accept doing it the hard way. And this is part of why I like Will Barton. I mean, when I did the documentary about him, 
you know, his whole thing was similar to this. He wanted to be a pioneer. He didn't want to be a front runner. He wanted to be the underdog. And Millsap, I think, feels the exact same way. His career, he's always been that. So if he's ever going to achieve the ultimate success, he wants to do it on those terms, not as the front runner. Um, and I just think that was really cool. Back here on Locked On Nuggets Podcast, you can check out the entire Locked On Network, Locked On NBA, Locked On Fantasy Basketball, Locked On Broncos with Cody Rourke, Locked On Rockies with Jenna Garcia. Okay, let's um, get into it. Mason Plumley, he also said that this was the most fun season he's ever had, which I was a little surprised to hear that from Mason. Um, you know, he talked about how, yeah, he of course wishes he could be a starter again. He's a, a starting caliber center. Um, I think he's one of the 30 best centers in the NBA, so that he could find a job out there somewhere. Somewhere, um, as a starter, but he just talked about how much he enjoys this group. And, you know, th- they talk about this sometimes, but on the heels of a Game 7 loss, when everybody's at their lowest, the fact that people were just so positive and enjoyed their season together so much, I, I really think it reaffirms what we thought about this team from just from being inside the locker room and stuff, and that they truly do enjoy one another. This is a locker room that's very much together. It's funny, you hear some of the stories coming out of other locker rooms, like, say, the Boston Celtics, where there's dysfunction and disarray, and guys just seem to hate each other and can't get away from each other, and Terry Rozier saying, nobody sacrificed as much as I did, let me just put that clear. Today, there was nothing like that. Mason Plumlee barely played in the playoffs, and, you know, he was hated. Will Barton, uh, you know, talked, I'll talk about him in a second. All these guys talked about how much they still want to be here, and that's a rarity. It's very rare for guys, especially guys talented enough to take on bigger roles, to to sort of say, you know what, I'm still having fun here, and I still enjoy um, being a part of this. So that, that I mean, t- to give you some positivity on on sort of you know this dark week for the Nuggets, I think that's something you can hold on to. Gary Harris said he wants to go back to Serbia, which is just the coolest thing ever. I asked Paul Millsap if he planned on going to Sambor, and he first of all he said, "Where? <laughs> what's what's that?" I said, "Jokic is home." Town, um, he laughs. Said no chance. He doesn't like long flights. So, um, but Gary said, um, I guess Gary went to Nicola, not Nicola asking him, but Gary went to him and said, "Hey, I'm coming back this summer. When do you want me?" And um, I just think that's the coolest thing. And you could tell it meant a lot to Jokic too. He kind of got a big smile, like, "Oh man, he's gonna come visit me again. That's great." Um, Jamal, <laughs> Jamal's exit interview, I think, of all of them was probably my least favorite. No surprise, Jamal. Um, I've, I've said all year he's a guy that. Um, he has a bit of that toxic mamba lidity, is what I call it. He, when you talk to the media, he's one of those guys that feel he's always he can never project weakness or never project you know regret or any of those things and or vulnerability, just any type of vulnerability, and and it comes off to me as very you know fake or not 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 fake because I, I think he's being real, but just very like performative and um he's young. I think it's just a, a young thing and guys that kind of feel they have to be a certain way. But I I did ask him about his defense and and just. Said, hey, how can you become a better defender in the offseason? And he said, defense is a team thing. You work on that in the season, not in the offseason, which, you know, not an encouraging quote, but I get what I get his point nonetheless. Will Barton talked about being booed um, on his own home court by his own fans and being benched. And if that affected sort of the way he feels, because all along he said, like, same as Paul Millsap, I want to be here. Like, I want to be a part of this team. I want to see it through. Finish what I started, I think, is the phrase he put out. And I kind of expected him to waver a little bit from that because this was a tough year for Will. And he talked about that. I said it was the most tough year mentally, physically, emotionally, all those things. But 
Um, asking him specifically about if it's changed his relationship to the Denver Nuggets, and he said no. And I was kind of surprised by that. And he said, you know, with a little, you could tell a little, his shield up, he basically said, I don't do this for the fans, you know, because he's like, the fans come and go. And, And that's true, the fans are fickle. Players... One of the things I think fans always think that the players view them in a different light. I said this on I think on on Reddit the other day about how it's interesting that the fans always side with the players whenever the players talk about the media because most of the time when players are talking about the media they're talking about social media which is the fans. So it's funny that player that that fans identify with the players as in oh yeah I Whenever there's a dispute, it's like, oh yeah, I sympathize with the players in, in in every single one of these situations, and I get it. They're the popular ones. They're the fun ones. Like, there's a reason for that. I, I understand the reason. But the truth is that fans are much more like the media than they are like the players. And so, it, it, and and oftentimes when the players are are upset about this or that, they're not talking about the media. Like, Will Barton, you know, Jamal, Mur- they're not reading my stories. They're not listening to this show. They're reading social media and they're projecting that onto all of the media. And usually social media is actually the fan. So I always find that dynamic really, really funny. Um, but nonetheless, Barton talked about how the fans are fickle. And, and look, players love the fan. Like Isaiah Thomas you know, he's over the top about that Boston fan base because they're real. Well, they're real because he was good when he was there. If, if Isaiah Thomas went back and replaces Kyrie in Boston next year and Boston misses the playoffs or they're at eight seed and get bounced right away, that fan base isn't going to be cheering him on, you know, when he goes four for 25 um, in a playoff game. So fans kind of, or players kind of know that in the back of their mind. And I think with Will Barton, the experience that he had this year, it's on the front of his mind. Um, and that's kind of why he says, I don't do this for the fans, I do this for the team. And it makes sense. I mean, I think it's a fair comment. Um, And then lastly, noticeably absent from today's exit interviews, Michael Malone and Tim Conley. Now, typically, though, they talk on the same day or a day later. Um, They are going to talk next week. There'll be a press conference where they will address the team next week. And I have to say... This certainly kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit. Now, maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just, you know, Malone talked yesterday. He doesn't want to talk today. He's got, they got a lot of stuff to do. But I do think that this Tim Conley to Washington stuff, uh, these rumors, I think there's uh, there's certainly some smoke there. And so maybe it's a scenario where, the, when the, where there's smoke, there's fire. Now, in Tim Conley's perspective... He comes from Baltimore. That's that's his home. If you've listened, you know, to to the documentary I did on Will Barton that featured Tim Conley prominently, or if you've just ever read anything or talked to him or met him, Baltimore means a lot to him. That's his home. That's his home. And so, um, you know, the fact that he would go there first of all, just just the idea of like, would he go to Washington? It would be a dream job for him to be around the net, his biggest network of friends and resources and everything else and building his hometown team. So there, there's obviously that. There's the money issue that reportedly, you know, maybe they would offer him twice as much money as, as he's making here in Denver. Um, so there's an opportunity for that as well. Um, and then Denver, maybe they feel they have some stability because Tim Conley has been the face of the Denver Nuggets front office. I think Arturus, Arturus Karnasovas, who's the general manager, um, Tim Conley above him as president of basketball operations, I really think that to at least some degree, they are a partnership. They were a partnership. You know, Tim, sort of the personality, he's obviously they're both great basketball minds, so I don't want to make it sound like one's the brain and, and one's the face. It's, it's not like that. But I think Tim, much more the outgoing, sociable, um, you know, that guy, Arturus, extremely well-connected in Europe. Um, people don't know this, but he was a European basketball star. I mean, he's he's very well-known in European basketball because he was, um, you know, this high-volume scorer um, throughout his playing days. So he, um, 
you know, so I think that he, that maybe the Nuggets feel like, oh, Arturis could step right into that role and he's ready. He's ready to sort of be that guy. I don't, I don't really have an opinion on that one way or another because to say something about that, it would be talking about something I don't really know. I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, he's been being groomed or, oh, he would step right into that role. We don't know. Speculating about like assistant coaches and assistant GMs to me is the craziest thing because we actually don't know what conversations there are behind the scenes um, unless you're like a Woj or, you know, somebody like that. But um, so I think they were absent. They do plan on doing a press conference next week. And the only thing I would say to that is I expect us to know by next week whether Tim Conley will be in Denver next year or not. And so I don't think we'll have to wait for long. I imagine if there are negotiations going on, they're going on at the moment. And some time between now and next week, that story will break. I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to do the uh, I'm going to take a close look at this Nuggets team and then slowly step back. Uh, I'm really excited for that segment. We'll be right back. All right, let's take a look at this Nuggets Game 7 loss, their playoff run, their season as a whole. And let's start by looking at the microscopic view. Let's get really up close. And I think in the moments following Game 7, this is how most fans and analysts look at it. You're you're so close into it. You're looking at it um, that, that the per- only perspective you sort of see at the moment is that exact moment. And again, I'm going to get four perspectives slowly stepping back further and further. None of them are wrong. None of these are like unfair. They're all part of a picture that you have to use. You have to look at the close-up view. You have to look at the long view, the the distant view, um, in order to really paint the entire picture. So microscopic view first. The Nuggets blew a 17-point lead in Game 7. This is when some people talk about the season was a disappointment or that game was a disappointment. It was. They blew a 17 point lead. You should not blow a 17 point lead at home. So, two big things happened to the Nugget. Three big things. One, they blew a 17 point lead. Um, two, they lost to a team for the second time at home for the first time all season. So, a, a couple teams have beat them. I think they've lost like 11 games at home, but never to the same team twice. That Game 7 was the first time Portland beat them twice now in Denver. That's kind of a big deal. And then the last one, maybe the most painful one, they had not blown a fourth-quarter lead. They, I think they were like 52-1 and one coming into that game when over their last 53 games when holding a lead going into the fourth quarter. So they were only up by one. The Blazers in the third quarter had already begun the rally, so momentum was already in their favor. But nonetheless, that was a statistic that held true um, so often. So the fact that they blew a 17 17- Point lead. We can't we can't lose sight of that. That was in that regard, this was a huge disappointment. Um, another one, Monte Morris was unplayable in the in the postseason. This one is a surprise, but true. Um the the Monte Morris, um, as great as he was, I thought at one point in the season he was a um the best backup point guard in the entire NBA. Um the fact that you couldn't get him on the floor, I don't know if that's because... It, I think you give him the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, it's his first time playing this many games. It's his first time in the postseason. You know, he has he had things to learn and things to adjust. But nonetheless, it has to be mentioned, he, he was unplayable. And going forward, you have to wonder, like, how much can you rely on him in a postseason? What are some of the things there? Again, I, I haven't written him off, but that's uh, the microscopic view. You have to look at that. Blazers fans on Twitter are the worst. This one, again... I didn't think so until coming into it. There was a lot of annoying things in the mentions, and I know a lot of back and forth between Nuggets fans and, and, and Blazers fans. This one, again, this the, the when you're in the microscopic view, this one feels so 
important. Take a little step back and it's like this is not a narrative or a story or anything to hold on to. I saw a lot of people say, man, it hurts even more to lose to the Blazers because of their fans. I, I'm just going to tell you this right now. It sucks to lose to any fan base. <laughs> Every fan base is 99% the same. There's little idiosyncrasies to them, but it, you wouldn't have felt any better losing to the Lakers or the Jazz or the Rockets. I mean, all of these fan bases you'd be so annoyed with. And after a seven-game series, you're just annoyed with everybody. I mean, the players were annoyed with each other. They, the, the Nuggets talked about how much this one hurt because how much they hated the Blazers. That's a real rivalry growing. Um, Millsap couldn't score against Evan Turner. This is another storyline that I did not expect coming into the series, but game six and seven, Paul Millsap was very bad defensively. I'm sorry, offensively trying to score when the Nuggets needed him most. I asked before game seven, I asked Michael Malone specifically, what do you need from Paul Millsap? And he said to score. Um, He knew. He knew that that matchup was a key one, and unfortunately it didn't go in the Nuggets' favor. Malik Beasley scored just 18 points over the last four games. He was 5 of 19 from the floor, which is like 20%, um, 24%, something like that. So um, rough rough shooting night from him. These things feel really important, when, again, when we're in that microscopic view. All right, let's step back just a little bit. Let's look at the face-to-face view. Um, So no longer microscopic, but still like right face-to-face with this Nuggets team. The Nuggets could not guard the perimeter all year, and C.J. McCollum goes for 39, 37 points in in Game 7, in in large part because Denver just struggled with that. Um, And it's a real thing, I think, for the Nuggets now and going forward. They don't have a small forward on the roster. This was another thing coming into the season. We knew that. Will Barton would be the starter, but he's a shooting guard and a skinny shooting guard playing the small forward position. So, you know, just a tough spot for him to be in. Um... The team without Jokic, I think, is is pretty mediocre. And this isn't a knock. I mean, you take the best player off of a lot of teams, they're they're pretty mediocre. But I think one of the things we we've learned about the team over the last couple of years, and certainly one of the things we um, really came face to face with over this playoff run, is that Jokic is really freaking good. Really freaking good. But the guys behind, and I think he makes everybody else sort of better. He elevates everyone. But without them, they struggle. And the Nuggets on-off numbers with Jokic in the playoffs were pretty absurd. Um, More absurd than they probably need to be. Not even LeBron James, you know, had these types of on-off numbers. And if you can't go to the bench, if you play 65 minutes out of 68 and you're a plus five and your team still loses, you know, maybe, maybe the team behind the best player, you know, has a little bit of ways to go. And again, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Malik Beasley, a lot of these guys, Monte Morris, super, super young, but um, it's at least worth noting. The Nuggets lost to a team that they are better than and at home. So again, face-to-face, we can't, as much as we can talk about the positive season, it's still a fact that they lost to a team that I think they are in a vacuum better than, and they did it at home, so that one will sting. And they might not get another chance as good as this one to make the Western Conference Finals. Now, there's two storylines here that are parallel. One is the Nuggets will be better in the future, or at least they should be better in the future. They've got a bunch of guys that at 22, 23, 24, should be better one, two, three, four years from now. So they will get better. But the other thing running parallel to that is that the Western Conference, they probably will not have as good of a bracket, maybe ever. Um, the Nuggets avoided, and arguably, the three best teams in the Western Conference, the um, the Golden State Warriors, the Houston Rockets, and the Utah Jazz. I think all three of those teams would have beaten Denver in the first round. Um, so the fact that they avoided all of them, uh, you know, you might not get that again. 
Now let's go to the overhead view. Let's step back just a little bit more. We're looking from a bird's eye view now at this Nuggets. Game sevens are fun, and we got two of them in the first playoff run. This is an important note. Sports are fun, and this was a lot of fun. And like the going, it sucks losing, but think about how fun all the all the moments in between were. I mean, there was there was a lot there, and I think it can be lost sometimes when you're in that microscopic view or face to face. It can be lost that you know what. I would take this season again. This was fun. I would take it. Um, if you told me at the start of the year you're gonna, you know, the Nuggets are gonna be within one game of the Western Conference Finals, and that there's gonna be two game sevens, and it's gonna be just intense, fun basketball, you'd say, "Oh man, I'll sign up for that." So, so don't lose sight of that. Um, the Nuggets outperformed preseason expectations by quite a lot. Nobody had them as the second best record in the Western Conference. Nobody had, you know, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic playing like two of the the best players in all of the playoffs. Um, so they outperformed expectations. The Nuggets have as good of an outlook as any team in the NBA still. Um, you know, nobody got hurt at the end of the season in a catastrophic way, a la Yusuf Nurkic. You know, nobody, uh, you know, the team's not fighting. They're still together. I mean, the Nuggets' outlook still remains. How many teams in the NBA would you swap if you'd say, okay, I could swap the roster, the situ- everything together, I would swap that? Um you know, maybe the Lakers because they're in LA and they have LeBron James. I mean, they're uh, tripping over their own feet for six years. They're still in great position to be great because that's just that's what it is to be. You know, the Lakers. Um, but how many other teams like Sacramento? Would you? Sw- I don't think you'd swap with them. Even Golden State. You know, they're going to win a championship probably this season. But after that, you know, things get a little bit tough for them. And what is their five year outlook? I mean, it's hard to say. Boston. A year ago, maybe you would say Boston, but now, you know, they seem to be falling apart. The 76ers are, are a team that's already mortgaged sort of their entire process to try to win now. And now you got to hope that Jimmy Butler wants to stay. You got to hope Tobias Harris can stay. Um, I don't, I don't know if there's a single other team. You would definitively say, yes, I would rather take their situation. There's probably four or five that you could make an argument for. But outside of that, there's a lot of teams that would not come anywhere close to being in the position that the Denver Nuggets are right now. And who knows how much longer that will be the case. But at least right now, Denver still remains in a point of extreme flexibility and, um, and, and growth potential. Um, another overhead view, this one a little more negative. Jamal Murray's defense is a real problem that needs to be considered when building a roster. Um, he's still worth it. I mean, offensively, he's such a great player and he can be such a great player. But the fact that he is such a horrible defender and that teams, we now know in the playoffs, teams are going to target him. Um you know, that, that has to be taken into consideration. Jokic, I think, a very good defender who's made big strides, but he is weak at certain areas, in particular covering for when a player on the perimeter gets blown by. So if you have those two weak links, your two, three, four have to be very specific type players. You need length, you need great defense, you need um, a, a very well-executed defensive scheme where those guys can cover for you a lot. And, you know, that, that makes roster building, I think, at least a little bit difficult. So, um that's to be taken into consideration. The team discovered who they are and who and, and what they need going forward. And part of that is, of course, talking about um, you know covering for Jamal Murray's deficiencies. But it also, you know, the Nuggets need a small forward. They can't. The plan coming into the season of maybe we could play these three guard lineups that worked during the regular season. They won fifty four games. It's not going to work in the playoffs, Rodney. Otherwise, you have to avoid a Rodney Hood caliber player, and that's just absurd to think about. 
you shouldn't you shouldn't have to say like, oh man, we're really vulnerable to Rodney freaking Hood. Um, he's a fine player, but he's not the type of player you should say your whole season came down to. We just can't guard that guy. So the Nuggets, I think, learned the number one thing about the season was I think the Nuggets needed a clear vision for what they what they could do or what they needed to do to get to the next level. And in my opinion, going into this offseason, the Nuggets have as clear a view as possible for who they are, what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are, and what types of players they are missing um, or and where their current players need to develop. And I just, to me, that's, that's all you could ask for. The Nuggets know what they need to do. Can they do it? I don't know, but they know what they need to do. Um, and then Gary Harris shut down defensive player. I mean, he shut down Damian Lillard. He shut down Derek White. Um, to the extent that you can shut down Damian Lillard, star players are always going to get theirs. But Dame had to work for his. He was inefficient. Game seven, he had 13 points, and you know those all almost all of those points came off of broken plays, not off of like beating Gary Harris. Gary Harris, a, a heck of a defender, and offensively, you know he was up and down this season. But defensively, um, he was uh, a starting caliber player, and that to me is really encouraging. And then let's step all the way back, the 10,000 foot view of this Nuggets. This is the biggest picture you could whittle things down to just one or two narratives um which i think you know often the further away you get from things the more you only remember one or two things about a season the 10,000 foot view Nikola Jokic is one of the 10 best players in the NBA and he is absolutely capable of being the best player on a championship team step one of roster building to build a championship you have to have one of the 10 best players in the NBA you have to the fact that the Nuggets now know that they have one of those guys in Nikola Jokic, who, quite frankly, might have been the best player in the playoffs through two rounds, and certainly one of the top three players in the in you know you look at Kawhi and KD, maybe Giannis you could throw in there, but I think Jokic at least as good as everybody besides Kawhi in that first round, um, and even there you can make an argument. Just absolutely incredible. Now he had some favorable matchups. You know, first of all, San Antonio was a top ten defense for two thirds of the season. So I, I know they finished like twentieth because they were the thirtieth best defense in the first month and a half of the season. But they turned it on. They figured out who they were defensively, and they were good. And Jokic just carved them up. Greg Popovich, don't take my word for it. Greg Popovich talked about the entire game plan being centered around Jokic. He averages a near triple double. He was incredible. And then he followed it up by just dominating in that second uh, in that second round. Um, with some a, a bunch of impressive performances there as well. So um, Jokic, if you took away one thing from the season, it was that the Nuggets have that guy. They have him. I don't know that they have had that guy for for you know Carmelo. A lot of people point to Carmelo. Carmelo never had success. You know, he made it to the Western Conference Finals one time with this Denver Nuggets team, which was a loaded Denver Nuggets team. I mean, that team, when you just look at guys two through six, was a lot better than this current Nuggets team two through six. Carmelo Anthony was the closest. Jokic is already better than him, in my opinion, by a, a wide margin. So the fact that the Nuggets have arguably the best player in their franchise's history, who's only getting better, but certainly the best one in 30, 35 years... Um, that's a, that's an important thing, and I don't think we could have said that definitively last season. Guys like me believed it. We projected it to happen, but we didn't know it. We didn't. It, he hadn't actually proven it. This year, he proved it. And if nothing else, you take away the fact that this team has a guy that can actually be their Tim Duncan, their Dirk Nowitzki, their Kevin Garnett, their the backbone, the the backbone of their team, and a guy that single-handedly sort of elevates them to this 50-win mark. And and to me, nothing else matters nearly as much as that. Um, another 10,000 foot view. Jamal Murray grew a lot this season. You didn't know what his his 
growth would, would look like. As certainly in October and November, it looked like, oh man, Jamal is the same exact player. By April, he was a much better player. And in this playoffs, he took his game to another level offensively. The defensive stuff, you know, I talk about it enough, but offensively, he is the talent that um, with a few more little additions to his game that I'll talk about over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to really dive into what each player needs. Um, but but he's a guy that projects to be an elite offensive player if he continues at the pace he's at. And 25 points in a playoff, 25, like 4 and 5, something like that. Not a lot of guys put that up at age 22. Um, another view. We'll look back very fondly on the season. And this is the last one. There was so much great stuff that happened this year. And sometimes in that raw emotion of that final moments and losing and the disappointment, those things aren't are true. They're not untrue. We can't gloss them over and sweep them under the fridge. 25-point comeback against the Grizzlies, though. We're gonna we're gonna remember that. That was a heck of a a heck of a game. Um, it was a heck of a moment for a, just a memorable season. Murray's 21-point fourth quarter was like again gr- stealing victory from the jaws of defeat. Jokic's perfect game. We forget that Jokic had a 35-point triple double with no turnovers and no uh, and no missed shots. What a ridiculous game that was. Just. This happened. That's a thing that actually happened. Jokic had a perfect game. Um, Gary's reverse layup in the playoffs that where he just kind of floated in the air and, and found an impossible angle. The atmosphere at Pepsi Center for Game 7 against the Spurs, which I'll always remember just the goosebumps during the national anthem and the crowd down the stretch just being so loud, that final buzzer sound and just that that, that arena. Plumlee's three against the Jazz, one of my favorite moments of this season. Um, the season. The celebration with the little tongue out. I mean, just what a moment that was. The four overtime game, and I know they ended in a loss, but my God, how fun was that? Four hours and, what was it, three hours and 50 minutes that game took. Um, just a, a pure battle of wills that even though the Nuggets came up short, it, w- it was still so fun to be a part of. And then bouncing back in game four when everyone's like, oh, they have nothing left in the tank. They're going to just lay down and die. And they did not. They came back punching and they beat the second the, the team with the third best home record after that game after that four overtime game just incredible Jokic's nutmeg remember Jokic threw that nutmeg when nothing was working for the Nuggets and he just you know what oh I'll just throw the ball between Alfaro Camino's legs for a wide open layup just so many great moments in this in this season and um, I think when you step back and you look at it you think you know what the heartbreak is real but this is exactly why we like sports and this this was all about it and you know, so much of life is like, would you accept a tough, tough odds and a tough deal? And this is one of those seasons where you look back and you say, yeah, it didn't go perfectly. Yeah, it was both a success and a failure in important ways. I think personally more success than failure. But even if you think more failure than success, you look back on it and say, was it worth my time? Was it, was it, would I go back and do it again if I had the choice or would I like live my life? No, of course you would take it because this year was a lot of fun. And, and all of the things that spiral off of watching this team and rooting for this team was a lot of fun. And that, to me, is, is an important perspective to keep. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. I will be back again tomorrow with a brand new episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.